finish up um, our study. There are 66 books in the Bible, <clears throat> and every one of them end in various ways. Only two books of the entire 66 end with a question. Interestingly, both of those two books that end with a question are pertaining to the city of Nineveh. Two prophets went to Nineveh, or two prophets wrote to Nineveh. Jonah literally went to Nineveh. And that book ends with a question that we will see today, and the question is this, and should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left hand, and also much cattle. Later on, about 100 years after Jonah, uh, the prophet Nahum, a generation that had experienced the revival, has come and they have gone. There's a new generation living in Nineveh now. And great judgment comes upon the city. And the prophet Nahum writes this and it closes with the words. And it's another question, Nahum 3.19. There is no easing of your hurt, Nineveh. Your wound is grievous. And all who hear the news about you clap their hands over you. For upon whom has not come your unceasing evil. So two books. Only two books in the Bible that end with a question. Both of them questions from God. One to Jonah, question to Jonah about his heart toward Nineveh, and then the prophet Nahum records the question about Nineveh that is returned back to its incredible um, evil. So this is a city, Nineveh, that according to Old Testament standards, God has some interesting perspectives about what happened in the midst of it. One of them with Jonah, great compassion, great grace came. But then with the prophet Nahum, great judgment came upon the city because of their rebellion. So that's just interesting, I think, that God has great questions about Nineveh uh, in the Scripture. This whole book, all four chapters, and you'll see today, is an attempt of a prophet of God, someone who knows God, attempting to bend the will of God to the human's perspective. All through this, the reason he ran, the reason he fights God, the reason he reluctantly preaches, and how we see him in chapter 4, is he's wanting God to bend to Jonah's will. Jonah doesn't want to bend his own life to God's purposes and what God wanted to do, and so there's this great attempt um, in this. Jonah, interesting as well through the four chapters here, is that God doesn't have a problem with the pagan sailors on the boat who end up repenting, and God does not have a problem with pagan Nineveh. Guess who God has a problem with? His prophet. Sometimes we are the issue in the world, believers. It's not the lost world out there. We are the issue. And in the story of Jonah, that's the issue there. Pagan sailors on the boat in chapter 1, they repent and acknowledge the greatness of God. Nineveh, chapter 3, hears the word of the Lord. They repent. They have fall, fallen on their faces, and they have gotten things right. And it's only Jonah throughout the book that is fighting and resisting God's purposes. So as we find Jonah in chapter 4, he is still in his current state of misery. And it seems that his misery at this point in time stems from this fact. God will not leave him alone. God's just continuing to pursue him. Jonah's continuing to have a hard heart toward God and God's purposes. And it says Jonah pushes back against God and God says, oh no. God just steps in a little closer gets into his elevator space up close and just says, you want to push me back, but I am pursuing you. And Jonah, I'm wanting to get your attention. Jonah, you have a heart issue. And so Jonah pushes back, God presses in. And so this reluctant prophet must have thought to himself, God, if you would just let me go, 
I'll be happy. My problem is you. You keep pressing in. You keep asking me to do things that my heart's not really into. And God, you know this is the case. And even in the midst of that, God is pursuing uh, Jonah. By the way, that would not be true if God would have let him go. He would not have found life. Because life is found only in a relationship with God, our purpose. And so Jonah, in the moment, thinks, man, I can find life by myself, apart from the purposes of God and what he wants me to do, and he cannot. So there is going to be one last word from God to the prophet. Kind of talk is over. God's through talking. He's going to ask one last question. He's going to say a few more things. And basically what it comes down to, Jonah's going to have to decide now, what's he going to do? Am I going to align my heart up with God, or am I going to continue to do my own thing? Personally, I think God sometimes gets that way with us. Has he not spoken enough to us, and we just want to say, I don't care, I don't care. Now, God's always going to continue to speak. But there may be one of those things where God's just not going to bring a freshness because we just, he's just going to let us have our hard heart. So he says, you just live with that for a while. And, and eventually, we walk down that road enough, we recognize, man, I have gone to a place where there's no life, there's no meaning, there's no purpose, none of that is here. And I need to get things right. And so Jonah is at that place. And I think God asked this last question to him for that purpose. Jonah, I have done quite a bit for you. So you're going to have to decide now what are you going to do about who you are in relation to who I am. And are you going to get things right? Now, as I told you in the very beginning, um, all of these Old Testament books always are a foreshadowing of Jesus. Some of them are inadequate as well. But some of them are, uh, like Jonah, there's such an inadequacy that you think toward the ultimate fulfillment of what Jesus would be. So there are a number of, of things about this um, that we can learn in the book of Jonah. And let me just uh, point out a couple of them before we get into the text this morning. Jesus is more than a prophet. He is the Son of God. He is the eternal God. But Jesus was also uniquely a prophet, and it, that title also fits him as well. But Jesus is the prophet that Jonah never chose to become. Jonah never loved his enemies. Jonah never prayed for them. We're going to see in a moment, Jonah quickly gets out of town. He doesn't want to spend any time with them. Jonah did the minimum amount that he could do, and he did it all reluctantly. Jesus, though, came, wept for his enemies, lived among his enemies, died for his enemies, and he becomes this fulfillment, this greater fulfillment of what Jonah never wanted to be. Jesus embraced it by doing all this. As a matter of fact, Jesus said this himself, John 10, 17 and 18, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. And no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord and I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again and this charge I have received from my Father. We will see today that Jonah, once revival happens, goes outside of the city and sits back and is going to watch, hoping that God's going to bring judgment upon the city. doesn't want to be in the midst of what God is doing. We know from the Scripture that Jesus went outside of the city to die on the cross, to bear the judgment and wrath of Almighty God so that you and I do not have to. This is what the writer of Hebrew writes, Hebrews 13, 12. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate, outside of the city, in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. And so Jesus becomes this greater, beautiful fulfillment of something that Jonah never wanted to 
embrace. All right, look with me, and let's just read it all, because we like reading God's Word, right? So let's read it all. We're going to start at 310, put it all together. So Nineveh has repented. People are sitting in sackcloth and ashes. They are calling out to God. Verse 10 of chapter 3. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. For one, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Notice that word exceedingly. And he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? And that, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful You're slow to anger, you're abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, why are you angry? Do you have a right to be angry? Do you do well to be angry? Verse 5, so Jonah went out of the city, doesn't answer the question, and he sat to the east of the city and he made a booth for himself there. And he sat under it in the shade till till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? In other words, what right do you have to be angry about this plant, Jonah? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry. Yeah, I have a right to be angry, God. Angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. All right, let's walk through this. First of all, this morning, I want to talk about certain destroyers of our faith. I want to talk about certain things that are going to destroy our faith. And you find anybody who's walked away from the church, you find anybody who's walked away from God, and you'll find these three things. They are there. And the first one is simply this, and it's, this, is, this is all coming from the life of Jonah, summary of all four chapters. Jonah has gotten to a place where he distrusts God's goodness. Standing in the midst of Nineveh, he is, he is anger because he doesn't think the Ninevites have merited and earned the right for God to bring repentance to them and forgiveness to them. And he's standing in the midst of that and he recognizes this and he thinks this to himself. He's like, how can anything good come of these evil, violent People who have been a thorn in Israel's side, been a thorn in our nation since we came into the land. How can this be good? And so he begins to have a distrust of God's goodness. Now, I wholeheartedly believe this, that when the call came, before the call came for him to go to Nineveh, Jonah had never stopped to think that God's not good. He had a very nationalistic focus. He knew that Israel had not always been good to God. But God had always in faithfulness been good to his people who had rejected his covenant and, and, and done a number of different things to mock the name of God even though they were his children. So, so here's Jonah 
probably never thought about God not being good, but now thinks, man, are you kidding me? You want me to go to our enemy and preach to them. Can I just write them a letter? No, I want you to go. I want you to go and I want you to preach. And the text tells us in Jonah chapter 1, in 3, twice, verse 3, and then in verse 10, one time, that Jonah, once this word comes to him, Jonah, watch this, wants to flee from the presence of God. Why in the world would you want to flee from the presence of God? Here's why. Because you don't think God's good enough to be around anymore. So here's Jonah. I don't like what God said to me. So I'm going to get as far away from God as I can. So he gets on a ship. And he's headed to southwest Spain. Furthest known part of the world that time. Fishing village. And he wants to get there. And he's just going to live his life in Spain. Away from the presence of God, away from God calling to him. And it comes because now Jonah, calculating all of this stuff that God has said, thinks, you know what? God, you're not good enough for me to remain around. You're not good enough in my estimation, in my eyes, for me to go do what you want me to do. And so he wholeheartedly decides, I'm going to get away from the presence of God. So he flees. Well, we know the story. God stops his fleeing, but here's the second reason that our faith gets destroyed. If you doubt that God is good, then naturally it's inevitable that you're going to doubt that when God speaks, that his word is trustworthy. If he's not all good when he calls us to do something, then that's probably not all good as well. And so it begins to have this doubting about, you know, why in the world would God want me to go do that? And when we doubt God's goodness, we will inevitably doubt God's speaking and we will distrust his speaking. And when we distrust his speaking, James says it like this, James 1.5, James 1.8, we are a double-minded man, unstable in all our ways. So he wrestles with God's goodness. Inevitably, he's going to wrestle with what God has spoken to him. And this happens all the time. There are a lot of people, a lot of believers who who really question God all the time, constantly asking God, God, why, 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 why this, God, what, what, why would you do that, why would you allow that, and these constant questions, and they never move, watch this, never move beyond, we all have questions, right, we all have questions, all things that we wonder about, wrestle with, but there are a lot of believers who never move beyond the questions to saying, you know what, some of my questions just aren't going to have answers to them. And so I've got to move beyond the questions and just trust God. That's where Jonah should have gotten. He should have gotten to the place, God, I, don't really, I, don't, I, don't, I can't see it, God, because of what's in my heart. God, you know what's in my heart. You know how I feel about the Ninevites. And God, I know that you're the eternal God. You're gracious, you're merciful, you're kind, you're forgiving. You're all of these things. And so, God, I'm having a hard time with this. And I want to lay that before you that I'm having a hard time with this, God. And so he should have laid his questions, his doubts, and all of that with God. But you and I have to get to the place where this... Here, let me just say this. If all we do, if our faith is marked with, God, why do you do this? And, it, and the why is not, I'm really wanting to understand, but the why has gotten to a place where we place God on the stand because he ought to be questioned. And when we do that, we get to a place of arrogance before God. As if God, uh, as if we have a right to put God on trial. And again, 
I think we ought to always be honest about things, but our honesty should move to a place of trust eventually. And I think we shouldn't hold on to that anger for very long because this is his world, this is his heart, to reach the lost, to awaken people, to bring them into faith, and we've got to align ourselves with him. Here's the third destroyer of faith. If you doubt God's goodness, then we are naturally going to drought, distrust God's speaking, and then we will eventually distrust God's purposes. And that's what Jonah does. God's purpose for Jonah to go to Nineveh was to rescue Nineveh. And so here he is, watch this, standing in the midst of God's purpose to awaken and rescue Nineveh, and he's distrusting God's purpose in the city. In chapter 4, verse 1, we talked about it last week, this word that says, this displeased Jonah exceedingly. This word exceedingly, when you put those words together in the Hebrew, says this, if you weren't here last week, you should have listened to the message, so you would be ready this morning, but let me help you. It means this, in the Hebrew, he saw what God was doing in Nineveh as evil. Evil, that's what it means in the Hebrew. So he's looking around going, God, you have violated your holiness rescuing these vile, evil people. Standing in the midst of people sitting in ashes and sackcloth, crying out to God, probably 600,000 of them. He's standing in the midst of that and says, God, you violated your character by rescuing these people. And he attributed what God was doing in Nineveh as evil. That's why Jonah's faith is absolutely, totally collapsed. He's distrusted God's goodness, so therefore because of that, he doesn't trust what God has told him to do. And then he's distrusting God's purpose. And those three will destroy a person's faith faster than anything. And they are the three things that led to the place where Jonah is at. And it leads to this contradictory spiritual life that we see in Jonah. This contradiction is this. He should, have, he should have just lived authentically and just let God do what it is and be joyful about it because he should have known as God's prophet, I'm not going to win in this battle. He is Yahweh. He is almighty. He is, he is great. So I need to give up the fight against him. And I, but instead, he doesn't. He just takes on the fight with God. Instead of yielding, he decides he wants to fight God and he leads to this, he, it leads him to have this life of contradiction. What should have been true about him was he was trusting in God and excited about what God wanted for him, but he chose something exactly the opposite. Here's what happens when our life is this great contradiction, what, what leads to this great contradiction that we see in Jonah right here? And I think the first thing is simply this. There becomes this great preoccupation with God's people. By the way, let me just say this. When we talk about Jonah here, we're not talking about pagan guy out there who's on the golf course this morning and is never going to come to church. We're talking about someone who knows God, who's been used of God, has been connected to the kingdom of God. So what happens when our life gets really deeply sidetracked in a place that's this great contradiction of what truth is and what a believer should looks like should looks like and living completely opposite and the first thing is just simply this there becomes this great preoccupation 
with lesser passions. And I see it all the time with people. We live in a day and time in the church in 2019 where most Christians have causes. Are you all with me? Like racial reconciliation, social justice, worship style, building architecture. All of those things are good. I'm for racial reconciliation. I'm for social justice. I'm for orphans. What happens a lot of times is simply this, is we don't really want to know God, but we're okay with God. We like God. And we know we need to have a cause because God's good. So we get a cause. And what the Bible speaks about is this, is our great passion should be the gospel. And out of our great love of the gospel flows ministries because the gospel calls us for race, racial reconciliation. We, we strive for that because we love the gospel. That's the implication from the gospel. Social justice should not be our primary thing. The gospel becomes our primary thing. The proclamation of truth, the proclamation of who Jesus is, and then ministries come out of this great love for the gospel. So I want to remind you of this because this is where Jonah is. Jonah's never met Jesus. He's Old Testament age, but the principle is so applicable to where you and I are today. Watch this. Jonah has an issue, and he's passionate about this issue. It's a godly issue, it's a biblical issue, and it's the justice of God. He is for the justice of God. But he's just kind of in the moment ignoring all the other things connected to the kingdom of God. Like God loves the nations and wants to rescue them from their idolatry and their sin. So this is a passionate man, Jonah, very passionate. He's got a cause. God, you ought to be about justice. And God says, no, I'm about rescuing people who don't know me. And yeah, I'm about justice. That's who I am. But that's not my great passion. So I want to remind us something just real quick. There are three sections in the New Testament that proclaim the last things that Jesus spoke. One is the day of the resurrection. He walked to Emmaus with a couple of guys Do you remember what he did on the way to Emmaus? He explained all of the Old Testament scriptures with them of what they said about Jesus. A little bit later that night, Jesus shows up in Jerusalem where the apostles are hiding in a room. And this is what it says. It says, And then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, and everything written about me in the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So the day of the resurrection, he walks with some guys about seven miles. And explains all the Old Testament to them. He shows up with the apostles. He explains the Old Testament to them and reminds them of stuff. And he opens their minds to the scriptures. The day he ascends, he says these words to them. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them, proclaiming, to observe all the things that I have commanded you. Everything that I taught you, you go tell everybody else to do this. Go to the book of Revelation, last book. First century is about old, about over. Second century is just on the doorstep. The apostle John's in prison on Patmos, and God comes. In Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus speaks seven more messages to the local church. 
And in every one of those messages to the local church, this is what he said. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now listen to me. We cannot miss this because Jonah missed it. If Jonah would have loved God speaking, Jonah would have stood in the midst of Nineveh's revival and just gone, God, glory to you. I don't want to leave this. Look at all these people coming to faith in you. They are now my brothers and sisters, acknowledging who you are. But he rejected the speaking of God for a cause that he thought God ought to be with Jonah about. Now watch this. Sometimes believers do this. We're like, God, you need to come over to my side and see how, and, and see how I see things and stand with me over here because, God, I am almighty. I have perfect wisdom. I'm not sinful. So, God, you just come over here with me. And that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to bend the will of God in Nineveh to himself. Well, there's a problem with that. This is God's world. And he set it up for his truth, his glory, to be the foundation of things. And so Jonah's all confused. See, the world's about this proclamation of truth, this truth of the gospel. It's not about our causes. And when we love the gospel, from the gospel comes this passion for biblical causes. But what we do a lot of times is we put the cart before the horse. Instead of allowing the horse, the gospel, to to lead and drive ministry, we let ministry drive everything. And then eventually what happens is there's there's a losing side of in the midst of that ministry of why are we doing what we're doing? And we do what we do because Jesus told us what to do. We proclaim the truth. The world is built on a foundation of truth. And so a deep love of the gospel leads to that. And Jonah literally missed it. And Jonah does not love the word. He loves God's justice. And he's narrowed his desire to a place where there's only one aspect of it. If God's not going to come over to my side and do what I want him to do, and be about what I think he ought to be about, then I don't want to have anything to do with it. And so Jonah, in the midst of all of this revival, says, I'm getting out of here. So he steps outside the city, and when he steps outside the city, he begins this passion and preoccupation with something where God's heart isn't at that moment. And he does that because he wants to be in control. You ever fought God about control of your life? How's that gone? Doesn't go well, does it? <laughs> does not go well. Well, last week we talked about the principles of collapsing our faith, and so let's talk about collapsing of our faith, part two, okay? Here's what happens. Look at me in verse four. So he's standing in the midst of revival. Again, just think about this city was 60 miles in circumference. We believe 600,000 to a million people are living within the walls of Nineveh. Everyone is repenting from the king, from the greatest down to the least. Jonah is standing in the midst of the greatest move of God in the history of the world in one place. And God's spirit is just moving. People are calling out to God. And so and he's angry about it. He said, God, this is evil. And so God asked him a question in verse 4. What right do you have to be angry? Instead of answering that, I mean, how do you answer that question to God? Instead of answering that, 
Verse 5, Jonah went out of the city and he sat to the east of the city and he made a booth for himself there and he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Let me talk about, as we walk through this, other principles that collapse our faith. And the first one is simply this. He wanted to distance himself from God's move and God's work. I have a missionary's heart. And boy, I, I have thought about stuff. I'd love to be somewhere where this happened one day. And if I did, you know what I would do, man? I would, I mean, back then Jonah couldn't do it. But nowadays, man, we can get the word out. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if God awoken, you know, all of Collin County today and, and we were the main proclaimers of that? Boy, we would want to get the word out, wouldn't we? We'd want to get on a testimony tour because that's what you do in Christianity. You've got to get, 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 get missionary on the testimony tour, talk about all the great stuff that they've done instead of staying where they are to continue to develop things, but we've got to get them on the tour. And so anyway, so, so Jonah, instead of going on the testimony tour, he just goes outside and he just says, I don't want to be a part of this. So instead of staying in the city and helping the Ninevites process what God was doing in their midst, and again, I wondered this this week. I wondered if he had stayed for about six months, would that part of the world be different today? If he had stayed and just invested for six months like Paul did in Ephesus for 18 and just stayed, and would there be a different change over there to help the Ninevites process who God was and what God was doing in their midst? But instead, he's like, man, I don't want to be a part of this God. And so he goes, and he goes outside the city, and the... Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths, whatever you want to call it. Um, uh, when they lived in the wilderness, they would live this way. And so God established this thing after they settled the land. And, and they would, every year, they would build booths and they would live in them to remember what God did with them in the wilderness. So Jonah knows how to do this from his history. He goes outside the city. He's on the east side, likely on a hill, looking down where he can see Nineveh. And he builds a booth and the booth is inadequate. You know why it's inadequate? Because you and I cannot build something that adequately protects us so he builds a booth it's a crude structure our buildings just like adam and eve and genesis when they covered their nakedness with fig leaves it wasn't enough when god came he killed an animal and he covered their nakedness with animal skins so jonah builds this and he's waiting and watch this <clears throat> he's stubborn enough to wait it out you ever been stubborn enough with god to just wait something out. So there he is. It, it appears that God's work happened pretty fast in Nineveh. So let's say they were given 40 days to repent. Let's say the revival took about five days, and now he's got 35 days out, and Jonah's going to go outside, and he's like, okay, God, I'm going to wait this out. I'm going to wait it out, and I'm going to, surely, God, they really didn't mean what they're doing. And by day 40, they're going to go back to their old ways and you're going to rain down judgment like you did on Sodom and Gomorrah. And he takes the posture that if God's not going to change, then I'm not either. That he's not going to come over to my side. That I'm just going to go outside and I'm going to pout. You know, and after all, if God's going to rain down judgment on Nineveh, I do not want to be in the streets here. So I'm going to go outside the city and I'm going to kind of wait it out. And the biggest decision that he makes in 4 or 5 is this, is he decides to remove himself from God's movement. And watch this. He isolates himself from the new people of God that have come to faith in Nineveh. And he goes outside just to sit by himself. Y'all ready? 
fixing to get up in your face. There are people all over our cities today who have removed themselves from God's primary place where he gives his great revelation of himself in the world today, and that's the local church. And they've just decided, man, I don't need a local church. I can watch it on TV. I don't need to be in community with other people. So here's Jonah. Could have stayed in the greatest revival ever, hung around, invested in the people there. He steps outside, away from the church, and decides, I don't need church. I don't need people who believe. I'm just going to go out here, and because God doesn't want to do things my way, that church didn't do things that I wanted them to do. That pastor, boy, they didn't, they didn't do my music. Um, I didn't like that building. I mean, look at our building. Our building's not even square.